Hello, here we are on June the, oh my goodness, 9th, 20, oh no, it's June 10th, isn't it, 2016, and we are going to talk about the White Mountains and the City of Golden Lead by John Christopher. It is June the 9th, by the way. Oh, is that right? Oh, sorry about that. I'll fix it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, some of us have read The Pool of Fire, but some haven't. And Lissy and I started it, but we haven't got that far into it. So uh, no spoilers on that one, hopefully. Especially, well, we kind of know how it's, we know they're going to, you know, what happens in the end. But I don't want anybody to mention what they do in the city because I don't think Lissy could guess it. And I think it's really kind of almost not, well, maybe funny a little bit, but it's really interesting and I don't want her to figure out or guess what they do in the city. She thinks they're going to go in and disable the water, uh, water making equipment or the heat making equipment, but or the air making equipment. But that's not what's going to happen, and I don't want her to. I don't want her to find out. Are you referring to the third book in this series? Yeah. Is that available yet on Bard or only on Bookshare or what? It's on both. Uh, no, it's not on Bard. Oh, it's not. Oh, sorry about that. It's only on Bookshare and Publisher Quality, but not on Bard yet. It's on cassette. I thought it was, but yeah, the first two are on Bard, but the third one is not. And I think the prequel is also, isn't it? No, the prequel's only on Bookshare. Okay, anyway, we'll go around and see what people thought about the first two books anyway. I always seem to be the one that starts off. <laughs> uh, I, th- I didn't like, it was okay. I found it a little, I guess it's it's as it's you know for, for young adults or children, it seemed a little bit simplistic in its presentation and everything. But I think the aliens were very interesting the way they were presented. Once they, I guess, once you got into the second book and got into the city, the first book was interesting in the sense that it described the landscapes where they lived, and also how when he, when Will decided to to try to get to the White Mountains and how he left England and, went and entered France and had to learn French. And then, I think in the second book, it ended up being in Germany. So some of that was the, uh, interesting. So I, I would put it up, you know, fair to, fair to good. Well, unfortunately, my mind is more into the third book, so I don't know that I remember too much about the first two, except that they set things up for the third. So that's all I can really say about the third but one thing I noticed was that the vocabulary was quite interesting. Considering that it was written in 1967 and 68, most of these books were. Um, and I think the language that was used reflected the fact that a lot of English schools tend to teach children more difficult things earlier. And I know that a book... At that level for children, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, in, written in English in the U.S. would probably be more simplistic. But I'm, I'm, I was very impressed with the way that the author didn't talk down. And, yes, he kept some things at a, a scale for kids to be able to understand better. But there was enough detail that I think anybody could enjoy these books. And that's what impressed me about them. I agree, Mary. I thought they were um, very interestingly written. And like you say, they didn't talk down to kids at all. And in fact, I didn't feel like I was reading a kid's book exactly. 
um, I thought it was really kind of a fun and relaxing read. A little bit. I mean, there was plenty of suspense, but not, it wasn't um, as intense as some things get sometimes. And that was really pleasant, and I enjoyed it very much. Well, I think the book was okay, but nothing great. Um, I didn't find it particularly suspenseful. Um, and I couldn't connect with any of the characters, so that pretty much ruined the book for me. Books, both of them. Well, I liked, I loved the books, especially the first one. Uh, but when I first read it, I was only 12, and as I said before, it had a really huge psychological impact on me at the time because it showed how primitive people would see our civilization and how much we take for granted, you know, and the huge buildings and the jet aircraft and the horseless carriages and, the, you know, the refined metals and just the automatic winding watch that he found and, you know, and all that stuff. That just had a huge impact on me. And I liked the second book, and I, as I told Lissy, I, I thought when I had... You know, when I first read it, I hadn't read much science fiction, and I thought he did a great job with aliens. And I still do, forty year, more than forty years later. I still think he did a he's done a he did a much better job with aliens than many authors I've read, uh, not even now all that long ago that our club has done. I'm thinking of Timothy Zahn for one. But um, so and and the characters, there were some characters. Um, um, they weren't. You know, he, he didn't go into detail about their psychological, you know, deal, but, I mean, it wasn't that kind of book. But, I mean, you see Fritz, you know, in early on, you know, he's kind of uncommunicative, and but then you see him in the city and how hard he's working and how determined he is to fulfill the mission and, you know, how much more he actually did than Will until Will got lucky with his master and... You know, you see Will's characters, you know, kind of wreck, a little bit reckless and not very, you know, somewhat less thoughtful. And, you know, and, and uh, so, I mean, there is character there, but it's, you're right, it's not at the hugely detailed level. But, you know, but I, I learned vocabulary when I was reading these books when I first read them back when I was in seventh grade. And, you know, I, I, I still remember some of the words. I had never heard of the word cosseting before. And, you know, when he mentions it in uh, the uh, book, when they're reading, when, they, when he's at the Castle de la Tour Rouge, and uh, Lissy thought that was an old-fashioned kind of word. Um, and there were a couple others that I remember learning for the first time. He definitely, I mean, when you think back on the young books that we read earlier, those books with uh, the ship and the master and Amy and... And these books were definitely at a higher level than that, but they're you know they're YA books, but they were written forty years before, and they are definitely not written down the way those were. So um, you know, but anyway, I, I thought they were great books. I'm uh, looking forward to finishing the third one with Lissy, and and maybe we'll read the prequel. We'll see. But anyway, we're going to finish the third one, and but uh, and I love the city he created the environment he created the you know the environment of the aliens and some of their psychology and it, it was just they're great it's funny I could I didn't at first you know before reading the second book I didn't know why it was called the city of what was it called now the city of, of, of the first name I forget now in land but I couldn't figure out why, why why they were talking about the land 
until you can see once they once they're in the city and how the the, the atmosphere and the and the gravity is so much you know more intrusive on the on the humans that it was a real struggle just to survive in there and the fact that they had a well wear a mask and they couldn't you know breathe the atmosphere of each other so yeah yeah it was um, that part as you say was very well done I think one thing that fascinated me was the friendship in the second book between Will and his master, if you could call it friendship. It kind of had to be on the terms of the master, and and Will sort of had to learn what that was. But just the effort to put that in there showed to what degree the author was thinking in detail and how he had this whole thing worked out. I just thought that was just amazing. But as soon as the master began to suspect that there was some, you know, that, that he wasn't under, you know, under their, their control, I think that friendship dissolved pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I said, it would have had to have been on the master's terms because he was um, culturally adapted, and that was the only way that he knew to think. That's the only way he knew, knew how to react. Um but Will was kind of the one who was having to learn as he went, and and that, just a whole relationship between the two. I mean, that's about all you couldn't really call it friendship. Now that I think about it, well, as he said, it was like a friendship with a dog. You know, he 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 obviously thought that you know the lo- Will was a lower creature. He even said he referred to humans as lower creatures at one time, and. Uh, so he was—he wanted to be friends, but it wasn't going to be a friendship with an equal. He asked him about, you know, because he'd read in one of the books about, you know, he, he had heard that a dog can be, you know, uh, a, a man's only friend or his best friend. And he asked Will if that was true. So he was he thought of Will as the dog. Yeah, one of the things that made me laugh in the book was the point where he said that he had been thinking that he was the guy's cat. But then he discovered that the guy thought he was his dog. I think one of the things that really was a little, I don't know how, if he would describe it repulsive or sad, was when they found out what they did with, with the girls. You know, how they had them as trophies, you know, just like, like a person would collect butterflies. Yeah, he even made that explicit. He talked to his, he remember, he had an, a relative or or uh, an earl or somebody that he visited uh, who was either a relative or somebody he was doing an errand for, he saw his butterfly collection. He made that explicit. And they, they, they took the human girls that we preserve the beauty, the best of the, you know, the worlds we conquer. And, oh, yeah, you know, that was terribly sad. I, I agree with that. I remembered it from, you know, why I'd read it before. And, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, there's just... And they had these environments, you know, where everything was preserved, but nothing moved. You know, it was all frozen. I guess the only, the only you know, sad part or, you know, or, or, you know, from a reader's point of view is the fact that, you know, the books continued on, you know, you left you hanging as to not to know what's going on, as you say, um, unless you were reading the third book. And so, you know, eventually what happens to the, do the humans eventually triumph over these aliens? But of course, that's something. I guess <laughs> we'll have to wait. Maybe, maybe sometime the book will either come to bar or, or, or read it on Bookshare. Well, it's in cassette, so if they continue on with their conversions, I'm sure it'll get up there at some point. Um, yeah, that's the end of the trilogy. Is the end, and there's a prequel if you want to read that. But you get the basic story 
from when Will's master tells him how they conquered Earth using video, you know, to subvert, you know, men's minds with, you know, with the satellite TV, uh, you know, the TV transmissions, and, uh, you know, the... uh, so you get the basic idea, then you know you can get the, the fleshed-out story from the prequel. But the pool of fire is the end of the story. It doesn't, it doesn't go on and on. It, that's the end of the story. Is the third book. Has he written other other science fiction books? Oh yeah, he's written a couple of dozen. He well, yeah. There, Bard has some. There are more on cassette, and there are some in Braille actually. And Bookshare has more too. They're actually. Um, David Pringle reviewed one of them in his 100 Best Books. I think it was called The Death of Grass or something. It was a, it was a disaster novel. Uh, he wrote uh, several of those, I think. The British, um, the British were into that. There were several authors in Britain that, that seemed to be a fad. I wanted to mention a book uh, that I quickly read. Uh, Mary had mentioned you know, one of the books that she pointed out that was recently added to the Bard was one called The Hunters. It's only four hours long, but it was in a some degree similar theme than this book. But it was really quite quite impressive for being such a short book. I, if, it, if no one has read it, I would strongly suggest that you, that you read it. It's quite, you know, as I say, only four hours of, or a little more, and it is quite interesting. Actually, yeah, I read it last week. I was starting to get it mixed up with this book that were these two books we're talking about because. It's similar in that aliens come to Earth, and the reason it comes to hunt humans is prey, um, kind of like you'd go on a safari in Africa or something. And I was trying to think, where was it that I heard humans called animals, and that was in The Hunters, and I was getting it mixed up with, with these other books by John Christopher. You know, you read enough of this stuff, you get it confused in your head. I have to be fair, though. And uh, because uh, these books have kind of a halo of nostalgia over them, because I said, I hadn't read that much science fiction when I read them when I was only 12. And as I said, the first one did have a big impact on me psychologically. But, and it's hard to do, but I, I mean, I have to be fair. If I were reading them now for the first time, I don't know, you know, if I would, I might still enjoy them, but I don't think they would be on my favorites list, you know, as the White Mountains actually is. But it got me at the right time. You know, I was impressionable, and, you know, I was open to the, the notion of what they what he was doing, was showing us, you know. And I don't even know if he deliberately intended that. He never mentions it in the prefaces, but, you know, whether he was out to show us what our civilization would look like from the outside, but that's what I got out of it. That's one of the main things I got out of it. And as I, and so, but I don't know if I would, you know, get that now or not. But I mean, I still think I'd like them. But probably, it probably wouldn't be on my favorites list. I think one of the other fascinating things is the technology in the city. Um, I wanted to mention one brief thing about the third book, and that is there's this huge pit with a fire in it, and I was trying for the longest time to try to figure out how they managed to do that, because it wasn't nuclear, and it didn't have any protection really over it, um, except I, th- I think it might have had something around it or something, but anyway, that's all I'm going to mention about that, but the technology was fascinating, because not only was the gravity in the superheated environment contained but it was really well contained. You didn't really notice it, I don't think, until you actually got into the city itself. And 
just the way that they changed the atmosphere was fascinating and the way that they made this so adaptable for their alienness it just sort of pointed out how different the aliens were if they had just had them walking into a human earth type environment they wouldn't have seemed as weird as they were yeah but i like the warmth i like heat so i don't know i guess the gravity would wear me down but i don't know um i mean i keep thinking you know i i'm i'm it was boiling yes lissy says i wouldn't like it um because it was boiling hot but you know i i you know, I summer's here, and I, I I can open my back door and not feel like my home planet is trying to kill me with cold. You know, so I kind of like. Um, but no, he created a great environment, and he said that it isn't even as heavy as their, their home planet was, even though it was heavier than Earth. It wasn't as heavy as their home planet, um, but it's just you know he did create a great environment. You know, as I said, he did he did a lot better with his aliens than many authors have done. Um, since then. And uh, so after borrowing from H.G. Wells and not remembering it, he thought he better add something of his own. So he worked hard to try to make, you know, the aliens, you know, flesh them out a little more, so to speak. Yeah, I was just going to comment on the fact that the tripods made me think of H.G. Wells and, of course, the War of the Worlds and, you know, how in the first book they didn't even know what the tripods were. They didn't know that they were, if there were aliens inside or if they were actually well, machines or creatures, and they didn't really know, as I say, that whether they were the aliens or or whether there were actually living things inside. And, and it was interesting how these tripods would sometimes just play games with them, like that time when they were when they were crossing the sea, and a tripod came running around and tried to almost sink the boat. And they and they made that cry, that strange hunting cry too, which made one think that they were actually living creatures. Yeah, that's what I mean. He kind of tried to give them some psychology that was that's not completely explainable. You know, they're aliens, so sometimes they do just weird stuff. You know, and he really made that convincing. Um, but that's why I didn't want to read the the prequel first. And I told Lissy, I said, you know, when you first read the trilogy and when he the way he wrote it. You know, you learn with the characters what the tripods are. You don't know, and you share that mystery. And they're just mysterious giant machines that roam about and cap people. You don't learn until later, and you learn it along with the characters instead of ha- knowing everything in advance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I wanted her to share that. You know, I wanted her to share it that way with me, with the, that original mystery. Me, me, me. Go ahead, sweetie. Yeah, and Evan keeps threatening to cap me. Oh, yeah, I tell her. I, I look at her head, and I think how the cap will look on it, and I'm saying, you know, we won't have, you know, if we have a mild disagreement, I said, we wouldn't be having this discussion if you had a cap on. Oh, that must get into some really funny conversations. <laughs> no, 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 Lucy, you don't need a cap. Unless it was a cap that, that, that the three boys were wearing, a false cap. Yeah, I wonder where Liz Leela went. She was here. She said she really liked the books, and she had just finished the second one or was nearly done with it. I, I hope she didn't fall asleep or something, because I thought she'd fully intended to come. I Go wanted ahead, to please. mention some things about character. One thing is that um, his friend, the uh, his cousin or something... Henry. Henry, who came with him, it really... This isn't a spoiler, but in the second book, they really... The author really keeps... Um, will in character because is it will? Yeah. Yeah. The because, original. Because 
they really don't develop a deep friendship. They were kind of antagonistic from the very beginning, and they continue to be that way. And the person that he does develop the friendship for is Fritz. And Fritz was quite the hero. It seemed like Will got there, and he was like, duh. He was just <laughs> doing what the master told him, and that's all he thought about. And, and Fritz had to remind him why they're there and um, give him suggestions on what he could do. Um, Fritz was also so brave and long-suffering with you know the sadistic master. That was terrible. Um, in the third book, this is not a spoiler either, but the, they're out recruiting... Um, and, and they do make a good pair because Fritz is more logical and thinks uh, uh, plans ahead and um, Will is more gregarious and helps uh, get to know the strangers and, and attract the boys. But I thought to myself, this would never work because they're putting all these boys in charge and they've had no training, no experience, and I just thought they... They can't last as as functionaries in this in this army that they're supposedly raising. You know that it it's just the logic kind of fell short there in the third book, which we haven't finished. And I don't know why they called it the City of Gold, and I didn't ask Evan, but it seems to me it had golden walls. Oh, that it should have been the City of Lead and Green because. That light was green that they were always seeing. Well, and the atmosphere is green, too. Yeah. I wonder if it, I thought it might have chlorine. I'm not a chemist, but I thought, isn't chlorine green? Yeah, I had the same exact thought, because I had been reading something about um, a plant. Oh, I know. It was another one of the Sector General books. It had a chlorine uh, environment where the nurse... Always looked like it was this, this weird vegetable thing inside of a green chlorine atmosphere. So I bet you that was chlorine. Well, you know, we didn't mention my, at all the character of Beanpole. I, I thought he was a very interesting character, and you know, he was the one who always thought about things and planned things. And and I, I couldn't at first I couldn't remember how it happened that he was there when when um, Will came almost drowned and was able to fish him out of the river. But the fact that he had hung around it just to see what might who might come out of there. Yeah, he. Uh, I I thought he was a great character too. He was patient and he was smart and he, you know, he had his glasses and he, you know. But I gotta say, there was one stomach, a little bit cringing moment when they cut out that little button, and he just, oh, you know, that was hard to read a little bit. Um, when they discover the button under Will's arm that the tripods were using to track him, and they cut it out, and I'm thinking, oh man, I don't know, I could live. I I know I'd have to live through that, but I don't want to think about it. Um, that reminded me of some scenes in Huckleberry Finn, where they they do some a little harsh things with the boys that you know, and I can remember they said, "Can you stand the pain?" So I think that's one of those macho boy things, you know, I'm tough, I can take it. Um, I wanted to, uh, let's see, never mind, I forgot. I wish I could remember, you know, some of the books that I read when I, you know, science fiction books that I read when I was very young. I know those, there was one, you know, and I can't remember much detail. I know it took, took, on a, took place on another planet, and there were like, I think this guy was tied up with, with, ropes that actually moves and stuff, but I, I don't know if it was one of those space cadet to travel or something. I can't really remember, but I, 
I wish I, I would love to be able to read that book again if I can remember exactly who it was and who wrote it and what it was about. Uh, that was one of the Heinlein books for kids. It's probably on Bard. And um, I remember that scene. He was on a planet and all these ropes and things were, were slaves to um, some form of life that was on there. I forgot. But yeah, that's definitely a Heinlein book. Because there were these things floating in the air, like balloon-type things, and then, as I said, had them tied up in these ropes, and I remember he tried to cut it with his knife, and it didn't do any good at all. Yeah, I wouldn't mind reading. If I knew which one that was, I wouldn't mind reading that again. Tell you what, I'll look it up, and I'll send you an email when I figure it out. I keep thinking it was Citizen of the Galaxy, but I could be wrong. But, I, man, I, that was a good book. He, he wrote some really good books for kids. Of course, you know me. I love that stuff. Um, the first book I ever read in Braille in science fiction was A Fall of Moon Dust. Oh, yes, Arthur C. Clarke. That and was I a good one. I can still remember, you know, I used to read in bed. At, you know, my parents didn't know. And I, I still remember, you know, the fascination that I couldn't go to sleep because I was very involved. Oh, I have some news that's uh, a little unfortunate. I was hoping that the Peter F. Hamilton book, the sequel to Abyss Beyond Dreams that we read and enjoyed last summer, was supposed to be out. I thought it was coming out sooner, but it's not coming out till September 22nd. I was kind of hoping we could do like a July and skip August thing and read it, but eh, it's not going to work out this this time. But I hope we, well, we'll think of, we'll see what we decide to do in October or November, if Bookshare gets it. Um, but, um, Anyhow, I was kind of hoping we could do that this summer, but I guess we're going to have to find something else. Perhaps something else long, but it'll have to be something else. Well, I guess we should perhaps start thinking about what we do want to read for next month. Yeah, it's June 9th, so our next meeting is, we have five weeks from here till July the 14th. So, um... So, if you guys want to read something longer, or another duology or something um i don't have any ideas because i picked the last one kind of and and so i i really hadn't thought too much about what we were going to do this month so you guys want to anybody else have something to pitch yeah now's the time well i've been looking around the last couple of months and the only one that really jumped out at me was seven eves by neil stevenson n-e-a-l 34 hours and I think 37 minutes. I've got it on my stream somewhere if you want me to play the info. But I know David had commented he didn't like it. Maybe it was just too long for him or something. I don't know. Yeah, David and I were corresponding about that, and I told him I was going to write to, because I did uh, something I don't usually do, but since it was such a long book and I... I haven't read much of Stevenson lately. I was going to read Anathem and decided not to read that. And uh, so I skipped ahead and looked around in Seven Eves, and I read the Wikipedia article about it, and I decided I didn't want to read it either. Um, and I'm not sure. I was going to write a message to the list about that, and then I forgot about it, and it would have contained spoilers, but I would have warned people so that whoever didn't want to read it could skip it. But I didn't really want to read it either. Um, well... That would spoil it, kind of. Um, but it's really seven eaves. Everybody is eliminated. Well, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it too much because seven eaves mean there are seven 
women who survive. The entire civilization is oh, done. And they create new genetic lines of you know, from these seven eaves. That's where the title comes from. And then then they first of all, and you'll learn this from the blurb, but which is not all that informative, really. But the moon, something happens, and the moon starts. Something comes off the moon, or the moon breaks up, or something, and, and this Earth becomes pelted with asteroids that decimate civilization. And they go out in space, and then they've got conflicts in space, and gradually everybody's eliminated until these seven eves, and then. They start these new genetic lines, and then they go 5,000 years in the future, and you see what happened then, which I didn't think was very imaginative. But but 34 hours of that, I just don't know. I'm, I'm not inclined to read it. But uh, if people want to read it, I'll give it a go. But I, I'm, it's not my... I wouldn't vote for it. Well, now that you talk about it, it doesn't sound like a summer book at all. <laughs> Um, well, let's see. The only other authors I could think of are Clark, and I don't think we've read Zena Henderson's complete book of the people. That's not on Bard yet. It's on tape, and it's also on Bookshare, of course, because, uh, um, yeah, you, Lucy, and uh, Evan put it up there, but I was going to suggest that if anybody would be interested what about, you know, a book that, that uh, someone had read before, a friend of mine, Maria Campbell, had read before and thought it was very good? Or no, it wasn't Maria Campbell. It was someone else in my book, another book up. This Galileo's Dream that has to do with something about a, an alien going back in time to Gal- talking to Galileo or something like that. I haven't, you know, read it. I have it, but I haven't read it. It might be something if no, no one has read it to take a quick look at it and consider it as a possibility. Um. Either one of those sound good. I just read something um, over the last, maybe, well, definitely since the last uh, time that we had this meeting. Um, There is a series by a woman named Elizabeth Moon who writes both science fiction and fantasy. And, oh, my goodness, I just read this science fiction one that I thought was the one that we were reading for my fantasy group, and I was wrong. And I couldn't even go read the fantasy book because this was so riveting to me. And right now I'm drawing a total blank on the name of the books. But it is about, um, it's sort of a space navy saga that the heroine or the main character is a, a woman. And she starts out and she's in the space academy and gets kicked out and it goes on from there and it's um there there are like maybe seven books in the whole series but i absolutely loved them they're not particularly extraordinary in any way except they're just riveting or at least i found them so that's the vladis war or veda's war series it's good I'm logging on to Bard right now so I can look it up. So you've, Deb, how many have you read? Have you just the first one or have you read more than that? Do you remember the title of the first one so we can find that one? Yes, I've read, I've read the whole series. I think there are seven books, but I'm not positive about that. The first one is something about trading in danger. It sounds similar to that. Um, and it's, and it is something like V-A-D-A. And the whole series name is something like 
like David said, it's like, or I believe it was David said, it's like Vada's War. Yeah, that was Marshall. That uh, does ring a bell. I've heard of it from somewhere, but I don't remember any of it. I don't think I read it, but we can sure uh, take a gander at it. Mar- uh, Marshall says it's good, and you like it, and it so like a summary book. Cindy, Alyssi thinks it sounds like a summary book, so how long are they? That's the question, because we have five weeks to play with, so are they short or long or in between? I think they run like between eight and ten hours. I was always hoping they would be longer. Well, that's a good endorsement. <laughs> well, and it could be fun because if we like it, you know, then it'll give us a whole series, on, you know, that we can finish on our own. You know, I love to get started on something new that really well, and that the con- I can follow up on. And the conventions are coming up in July, too, I guess, so that might dis- detract from some people's reading time this, this uh, month, too, I imagine. All right, I'm on Bard. The one I'm looking at now is Command Decision. Does that look like it? That's one of them. And if you double-click on the title there, you can actually go down into the summary and get the entire series or all the books that Bard has on it. And they're actually in order there. Um, I just typed the author in. So now I'm on Engaging the Enemy. Is that another one? Yes. The first one is something like Trading in Danger. Or I know it's got trading in it, and I think it's got danger in it. See if you can look up Mary Dam a moment when you when you finish that. This Galileo's dream that I mentioned, and see if you, what kind of description that has. Yeah, I remember that title. There seemed to be some interest in that prior. Um, so that's certainly. Do you know how long that was, Martin? Trading in Danger DB five seven one zero three. I think it's longer than eight hours. I'm not sure exactly. Um, I have it on my stream, but I don't have my stream by me right now. But America to find it and give us an idea, you know, read the description and how long. I think it's like 17 or 18 hours, maybe. Oh, that's good. But, uh, yeah, Mary's on the right title now, so if she wants to read what it saith. Okay, this is 11 hours long, and I'm going to see if I can lock my key so I can read it in Braille. Apparently you didn't lock it. No, I didn't. It didn't lock. So, not sure how I'm going to be able to read it in Braille. Well, what if you read it and then kind of give us the gist of the gist of the thing? Summarize the summary. Read with one hand. <laughs> we need something with a fairly long book, so we, you know, and if we're unless we're going to try to read that series and um, that has a relatively interesting plot, and if no one's read it before, then that would even be better. I can't read it with one hand because when I've got the control key down, the braille display doesn't work. I can give a vague description. It's a little bit hard to remember back to the very first one of those books. But basically what happens is that the woman who's the heroine of the, of the series gets kicked out of school and her father um, sends her, assigns her as the captain of an old ship that's going to be sent to be scuttled. And it's, and his, and they're from a family of traitors and she had sort of, uh, skipped over the traces, I guess you'd say, to go and be a person in in the military to begin with. So everybody in the family is kind of happier that she's back home. So she goes and starts off on a voyage that is supposed to be supposedly going to be a milk run, but of course she is a very adventurous kind of person and 
she gets into all kinds of adventures and scrapes along the way, and there's all this conspiracy stuff that goes on. And it's just a really good, pretty much space opera kind of thing in the vein of a military thing. Have you ever read any of the, like, the old sailing ship kind of things where there's, you know, like... Well, the thing that makes me think, that probably the closest thing to it that I know of in science fiction that I've read is a is a series about a guy named Flandry, who I believe is Poole Anderson, and the first one of those is called Ensign Flandry. Dominic Flandry, I think his name was. Yeah, I don't remember them too well, but I've heard of them. Now, that was Paul Anderson, all right. Boy, he did so much stuff, didn't he? Anyway, uh, yeah, um, I... I think we could read that if people want to read it. I know Marshall says it's good, and but um, it's not very long for five weeks. But as I said, we might we, we might need time, and we go on in the series if we want to. But that other book is quite a bit longer. But I don't remember what it's about. Well, if you get as addicted as I will, you will read the whole thing in about two weeks. And I mean all seven books. <laughs> it sounds like it really is that good. Well, it'll be interesting to see if we. If we, you know, find it as, as addicting as you you did, but if you all want to do that, just let's have the number and I'll download it and we'll start it. Well, let me say, let the reader beware, because that just is one of my most um, cherished things is a series that goes on for a long time about a particular um, character and situation that I find compelling. This is not, um, they don't pull any punches with the violence, but it's not, it's never um, really terribly ugly. I mean, really bad things happen sometimes, but it's not like it's brutally and awfully described. Do they actually fight with, I mean, who do they, what bias do they come upon any type of aliens or just? Other groups of humans or factions or something like that? There aren't aliens in it. Well, there are people, there are several different sort of flavors, I guess, or descents of humans. And there is a sort of schism between people who have been artificially enhanced with electronics, like implants in their brains, and also modifications genetic modifications to make them be adapted to other worlds and people who are normal or straight or whatever you want to call it that are just pure human stock but as far as actual aliens are concerned i don't remember there being any specific aliens oh now you got me Liz, i told lissy when you were talking about enhanced electronically or genetically or whatever and i said now you got me i'm reading it <laughs> but that reminds me of bruce sterling's old uh mechanist shaper universe which bard never did any of those but bookshare has them and i read them um which was basically the same kind of thing there were cyborgs on one side and genetically altered on the other those were the shapers were the geneticists and the mech and the mechanists were the cyborgized people and uh very popular back in the 80s i thought they were quite good but this is a similar kind of thing so i'm in I, I want to hear about that. Well, and the, the, other, the other factor that's involved in here is not got anything to do with um, either one of those things, and that is that there are people who are space pirates. And she ends up eventually becoming a privateer 
that actually is trying to protect people from the space pirates who are trying to take over the galaxy. Yeah, I've just been looking at the annotation. It says that she's expelled from school and her father sends her on some type of a mission and she becomes captain of the ship and uh, there's a galactic war threatened or happening and that's all I remember except it's a bestseller. Okay, well, the word you were looking for is baseline, Deb. That's what uh, people who don't get genetic or electronic modifications, that's what uh, they're called. Uh, the baseline humans. I'll give it a go and we can check into Galileo, whatever, Extreme. next time. Yeah, so, all right, uh, if we have a consensus, uh, then we'll uh, read this book, Trading in Danger by Elizabeth Moon, for July 14th, 2016, if, if uh, people are into that, if that's okay. It's DB57103.